process of process. Writer, know thyself. January 26, 2022. The inspiration. Architects and gardeners. I think there are two types of writers, the architects and the gardeners. The architects plan everything ahead of time, like an architect building a house. They know how many rooms are going to be in the house, what kind of roof they're going to have, where the wires are going to run, what kind of plumbing there's going to be. They have the whole thing designed and blueprinted out before they even nail the first board up. The gardeners dig a hole, drop in a seed, and water it. They kind of know what seed it is. They know if they planted a fantasy seed or mystery seed or whatever. But as the plant comes up and they water it, they don't know how many branches it's going to have. They find out as it grows. And I'm much more a gardener than an architect. George R.R. R. Martin I ran across this idea from George just a few days ago, and it's been in my head ever since. I've always referred to these two ends of the process spectrum as plotters and pantsers, but I like this so much better. If you're an architect, that's awesome. If you're a gardener, that's awesome. You can also be an architect who does a bit of gardening or a gardener who sometimes builds a shed from a plan. One isn't better than the other. We need both. The degree to which you are an architect or a gardener may change from project to project. The important thing isn't where you land, but that you honor where you landed and don't waste any energy trying to move yourself anywhere else. Bloom where you are planted. Build in the area you've cleared out. Beauty will emerge from both spaces. The Fat Orange Cat, a charged sigil. A sigil is a symbol that is considered to have some kind of magical power. To me, that magical power can include something that is charged with meaning. For example, a rosary is charged with meaning because it is returned to over and over again in a specific context, that of prayer. Some sigils are charged societally, like the rosary, and others can be charged by you as a writer. If something shows up over and over again in your book when a particular emotion is being evoked, say, grief then when it shows up, eventually, your reader will understand that it means grief. The power of a sigil can be used in a meta-context, where something is a symbol to the reader, or in an in-world context, where it is a symbol your characters are consciously using to access its meaning. Either way, it's powerful. Charge one and use it. See what happens. The trope, found family. I opened up a community thread this week just to see what happened, and boy, howdy, did it happen. I asked for your favorite tropes, and you came in with so many wonderful tropes from competence porn, a particular kink of mine, to the anti-redemption arc where a hero falls into darkness. I am absolutely going to talk about that soon. But by an overwhelming majority, the big winner was found family. The found family trope is just what it sounds like, a group of people who aren't born to each other, but choose each other and bond until they are family. You see this kind of chosen community in pretty much every story that isn't about a biological family. In the same way that every character with sentience and desire is coded human, every group of people that loves each other is coded as family. Every workplace comedy is a workplace family comedy. Every war movie is a soldier family movie. We may leave this 
We may love this trope so much because some of us grew up with families of origin that maybe didn't understand us or failed to love us outright. Found family in stories shows us what we found in our actual lives, that family are the people who catch you when you fall. Just because they didn't show up until some years or decades after your birth doesn't make them any less family. The question. Identity. They say a writer writes, but what if you haven't written for a while? How long is it before I'm no longer a writer? I don't think I've quit writing, but I'm not sure I can call myself a writer anymore. I am what I am. Dear I am what I am, I think there may be something deep inside our toxic cultural ideas of productivity that may be linked to mapping our identity to what we do, but that's not the question you asked, so I'm not going to go there. Just put that idea on a mental shelf in case you need it someday. Whether you identify as a writer or not is really up to you. A writer writes was something that was originally making the rounds in writer culture to assuage those people who didn't feel like they were real writers because they weren't published yet. A writer writes means that if you write, you can call yourself a writer. But what about if you used to write? By that yardstick, you can no longer call yourself a writer if you're not actively writing. But what is actively writing anyway? Writing is not just putting words on a page. It's not typing or scratching words into a yellow pad. Writing is in your thoughts. If you drive to the grocery store and imagine a scene playing out in your head, you're writing. If you watch a TV show and rework a story beat you didn't like, you're writing. Well then, one might think, if that's all it takes to be a writer, then aren't we all writers? Maybe we are. Maybe the point of identifying as something isn't to make yourself stand out or be special, but just to be one step closer to knowing who you are. So what if everyone is a writer? That doesn't have any impact on who you are. Not unless you let it. The Practical. The Inner Light. I'm watching Star Trek The Next Generation with my beloved, and it's been an interesting experience. For one, we're not watching every episode, just the ones he says are the good ones. Two, I'm watching something precious to him with him, while sharing what's precious to me in an alternating pattern. First we did Moonlighting, now we're on Northern Exposure. But also, there are times when we come across an episode where his fresh eyes will pick out something I didn't previously see, and vice versa. That's what happened with the episode The Inner Light. This is a big episode, not just to Ian, but to lots of people. I'd heard about this episode from a lot of people. For many, it's their favorite episode of The Next Generation. So that's a lot of importance going in. We watched it. I loved it. And then I thought about it. Without spoiling anything in the story, because I really do recommend going into it unspoiled, let me just say that this is what I learned from watching this episode. A concept can be brilliant and also horribly, horribly flawed. Preserving a twist is not always worth the cost of preserving that twist. If you're not sure, try imagining your story if you're completely honest with your audience about everything up front. In almost all circumstances, that will be a better version of that story. I have a fix for the inner light, and I'm planning a YouTube video on it. Stay tuned. Is that the narrative that feeds your soul, or is it just the one you're used to? January 29, 2022. Dear writer, I love identity stories. 
There's such an innate vulnerability to identity because we so desperately want to know who we are, but we change so much so often that by the time we figure it out, that's not who we are anymore. I've been thinking about George R.R. Martin's riff on architects and gardeners as a much gentler and more poetic take on plotters and pantsers, and I love it. What I've noticed is that even though the definitions of architects and gardeners map pretty tightly to that of plotters and pantsers, I can't help but bristle at the loss of the frantic connotation that comes with the idea of being a pantser. A pantser is flying by the seat of their pants. A gardener is quietly cultivating without a desire to control the outcome. Do you see what I mean? One is kind of negging, and that one is, of course, the one I identify with the most. I wake up most mornings and jump out of bed and hit the day like I'm mad at it. I rush from this thing to that thing, and I try to get them all done as best I can. There is no moment in my life where there is nothing waiting for me on my to-do list. I am a human hummingbird, sometimes appearing still, but always in motion. When I first discovered what a pantser was, I thought, yeah, that's me. But a gardener? It's basically the same thing. You start something and then see what happens, not really controlling for outcome. But the gardener identity is so much calmer, so much more peaceful, so much more deliberate. Why do I feel my identity so threatened by simply looking at my approach to life from an angle that has less inherent judgment in it? I'm self-deprecatory by nature. I take myself out of the knees whenever the opportunity presents itself. I have learned in recent years to also celebrate my strengths and accomplishments, but when I do, it's awkward. But I'm a goddamn natural at pointing out what a human turd I can be. A delightful human turd, but even a delightful turd is still a turd. And this brings me right back to the power of narrative. As I define the terms and how story works, hey, is that a plug? Why, yes, it is. A story is a series of events and a narrative is what we decide those events mean. If you think of the definition as the story, the facts, the series of events, what actually happened, then the negative or positive associations to those facts are the narrative. And I got to say, I'm really comfortable with the narrative that negs the hell out of me. If you think of the basics of a gardener and a pantser, it's the same thing. Someone who starts something without knowing exactly how it's going to end up. But there's something in the freneticism of the pantser experience, the way it treats not knowing what's going to happen like it's inherently inferior to a plotter that, I don't know, speaks to my inner sense of who do you think you are? And when I think about shifting my identity to the gardener model, which honors a writer's sense of wonder and faith in their competence to figure it out, it makes me wriggle a bit in my skin. That's why I love identity. It's so tied to our vulnerability, to our fear that we are different from who we think we are. You would think that trading an ingrained and accepted identity for one that thinks better of me, is that the narrative that feeds your soul, would be a welcome change. And yet. Had I not come across that idea from George R.R. Martin, I wouldn't have had... Had I not come across that idea from Georgia R. Martin, I wouldn't have had to wrestle with this little bit of internalized identity politics. I wouldn't have had to ask myself why I'm so much more comfortable taking myself out than raising myself up. But it's clearly a question I needed to ask. Everything else.